0: ADP knows anything you hear, anything you don't hear, anything you kind of heard, anything you weren't supposed to hear and now have to pretend like you didn't, can change the world of work. From HR to payroll, ADP designs forward-thinking solutions to take on the next anything.
1: This is Barron's Live. Each weekday, we bring you live conversations from our newsrooms about what's moving the market right now. On this podcast, we take you inside those conversations, the stories, the ideas, and the stocks to watch so you can invest smarter. Now let's dial in. Hello everyone and welcome to Barron's Live, our daily webcast and podcast. I'm Carlton English, reporter at Barron's. Thank you so much for joining us today as we continue to dissect Silicon Valley banks collapse and its implications for bank depositors, bank investors, the banking industry, and the broader market and economy. All told, we'll be covering up there a fair bit today. And joining me is Mark DeCambri, Editor-in-Chief at MarketWatch. Mark and his team have been covering this story tirelessly, and you can read more of our collective coverage at barons.com and marketwatch.com. Welcome, Mark. Thank you so much for joining me on this busy day.
0: Thanks for having me, Carlton.
1: Of course. So let's just go back. There's been a lot going on over the last, say, six days. Um, people might be coming into the story at different times. So real quick, can you just tell us in the simplest terms what went wrong with Silicon Valley Bank and also Signature Bank?
0: Yeah. So we had an environment in which um, interest rates were going up uh, pretty pr- pretty precipitously. And um, a lot of uh, you know depositors were withdrawing Uh, their deposits and finding other opportunities, other uh, richer yield-bearing opportunities. Um, So the whole setup where the Federal Reserve has been hiking interest rates uh, made a lot of, should have been good for banks, by the way, should have been really good for a lot of banks. Um, But some banks weren't as positioned well for that. Um, Certainly Silicon Valley Bank wasn't super positioned well for a higher interest rate environment because they had a lot of uh, short-term borrowings, and a lot of duration risk, uh, a lot of long-term debt um, that was yielding much lower than the new issued debt. Um, so withdrawals uh, were a, a really big problem for, for both of those banks, both Silicon Valley and, uh, and Silvergate. And it comes at a time where there's just a lot of concerns about the economic backdrop, whether or not we're heading into recession. That's kind of, in a nutshell, there's a lot a lot more wrinkles to that, for sure.
1: Absolutely. I mean, a lot more wrinkles, a lot more we're probably going to be finding out over the next few days and weeks. Um, one thing, though, so we did have this depositor flight at Silicon Valley, at um, Signature, and at, excuse me, Silvergate. Um, but I think one thing that's pretty remarkable is the swift response that we got from regulators in addressing this. Um, over the weekend, there was, you know, a real fear about, you know, the safety of the banking system. So maybe if we can just quickly dial back and say, what did regulators do over the weekend to try to restore some faith in the banking
0: system? Well, there's a lot of concern about the uninsured deposits for uh, Silicon Valley Bank in particular. Um, And that was a lot of discussion. There was a lot of debate um, on Wall Street among you know high profile uh, observers and industry players just thinking about the implications of having a very large bank that caters to uh, startups and and you know early stage companies going under and whether or not you could have a flight in other banks um, because there weren't uninsured uh, or, or there were uninsured depositors in in silver um, in silicon Valley uh, Silicon Valley Bank they needed to make sure that the uninsured uh, pieces were were covered and that's ends up to be what the the regulators did they wanted to make sure that that end because a large portion of the Silicon Valley Bank wasn't uninsured so they wanted to make sure that they could protect that and there wouldn't be potential spillover. So you want to also open a program that allows other banks to offer up their own collateral, which could be underwater too, because interest rates have increased. Um, That means the price of bonds have decreased. If you're holding duration risk, um, that is longer dated bonds, Um, it was giving the, the other banks the opportunity to basically uh, pass that on to, to, to the government. Um, no questions uh, no questions asked. and that's a necessary thing to at least guard against the possibility of a spillover to other institutions, which is part of the risk here. Um, not that there was systemic risk in the same way that we saw systemic risk during the great financial crisis. Um, this was a different level. this was cons- this was trying to, to to make sure that we didn't get to that point, right? Um, So that was some of the efforts, broadly speaking, were to protect the uninsured and to give a signal to the broader financial um, institutions that the the banking system is, is strong and we're here to protect it.
1: Absolutely. And I think that there's also this multi-pronged effect of protecting the uninsured. I mean, a lot of people think, okay, it's just one account holder that we're protecting. But in the case of Silicon Valley Bank, these were largely business accounts. So those large uninsured deposits, that was payroll, that was payments to vendors, that was, you know, the effects of that were much more widespread than, and you don't want to minimize any of this, of course, but a handful of people perhaps losing money. It could be a bunch of employees not getting their paycheck. Um, I just want to say we are getting a ton of questions. um, So I do encourage you to keep sending them and we will try to address them within uh, the course of this conversation. Um, But I do want to go back to something that you just said, Mark, which was the comparisons to 2008. I know you and I were talking briefly where, you know, over the weekend, uh, You were reporting at that point. I was working in wealth management. I remember that September 2008 weekend and what that felt like. And understandably, a lot of people's minds went to that when we heard about a bank collapsing. Can you say a little bit more about why this time so-called is different?
0: Yeah, I mean, this is a really fragile time for the economy, right? So the Federal Reserve has... um, is determined to raise interest rates to cool the economy because inflation has gotten a little bit out of control. Um, they want to manage inflation um, above. That's one of their mandates, right? You know, price stability and employment. Um, the the inflation piece, the price stability piece, is what they're most focused on right now. So they've been lifting interest rates, the f- um, federal funds um, and, in tandem, uh, other borrowing costs have been going up. As I said, it has the effect of cooling the economy, but also has the effect of uh, making it challenging if you're not focused on managing your risk for, for folks who are holding onto a portfolio of, of long dated uh, treasuries or long dated debt. You know, that is worth less, not worthless, but worth less because the price, it moves inversely to the yield. And so if you're a bank holding onto that stuff and you're not holding it to maturity, you're likely going to be looking at losses, so that that's part of the backdrop to, to what we're looking at now. And I said earlier that usually, you know, because banks borrow short and lend long, an environment of climbing or increasing interest rates should be good for them. Uh, but not all the banks were were managing their risk as, as well. Silicon Valley seems to be one of those institutions. Um, that was part of the weekend concern, right? You had a bank that more or less hadn't really been on people's radars. We've seen, we'd seen stories about, you know, some of these issues coming to light, but to have it go under so rapidly, seemingly rapidly, within a 48 hour period, have, have, have shut down by Friday, raised a lot of concerns about what else is there. Right. So, um, that's part of the issue that the regulators had to address and the government needed to address. They needed to sit down with the regulators and figure out like, what, are, what are the issues that we need to address. The Silicon Valley Bank, you know, they had to examine, do do examinations. You and I know, Carlton, that over the weekend, when you have a crisis like this, there is a mad dash to understand balance sheets, not just Silicon Valley banks, but all Uh, the regional banks. So a lot of that work was being done over the weekend. So those are a lot of the conversations that we were seeing and important because if you don't understand the issues, then you can't address, figure out the right solution.
1: Absolutely. And when I think about some of the things that are different, you know, this time versus what happened 15 years ago, which is crazy to believe that was 15 years ago. um, You made a really good point just a moment ago where you were saying that the assets that the banks are sitting on are worth a lesser amount, not worth less. And when I think back to 15 years ago, a significant portion of the assets, you know, banks were sitting on were actually worthless. You know, we had this toxic mortgages um, where we've seen banks ease their lending standards, or sorry, not ease, tighten their lending standards so much um, since the crisis that they're not sitting on, you know, some of these mortgages that will never be paid back Um, You know, just some of the other things that we've seen in the economy. We're not seeing, uh, you know, mortgages being made to people who are 20 years old with no income, no documentation, all of that sort of stuff. So some of these risks that were inherent in the banking system 15 years ago don't seem to be. Would you agree with that?
0: I mean, I think that to your point, this is a this is a different type of crisis, right? This isn't, um, you know, banks or institutions holding toxic, um, you know, debt, you know, esoteric mortgages that were proliferated across you know that you found in insurance companies and that you found under your mattress this is this this isn't that because in that case those assets weren't marked to market right so you know you were in in that situation you were you were looking at you know banks and institutions holding on to assets that were, were ne- near zero or or, or much lower than they originally bought, and and because of accounting rules, they need to actually, you know, either put up more collateral or, you know, raise more capital to address um, address those those potential losses. Um, so this wasn't that. Um, this was a situation in which you know duration risk or the or the risk of holding on to certain types of assets, you know, the the basic set up for these institutions is to match their assets with their liabilities but also to match the duration of those those liabilities and and that's you know that's what we're seeing here but also the notion that the fed was in a war path in some ways like to to write like the fight against deflation and against inflation is real and they were willing to break something so um again over the weekend. It was like, well, did they actually break something, and to what extent was it broken? Um, so it was a combination of that and poor risk management at the um, you know at the corporate level for, for 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 places like Silicon Valley Bank. I mean, that's at least what it seems.
1: Mm-hmm. Yeah, the other thing that's been interesting to notice. So you know, on Sunday night, we got the announcement from regulators um, about protecting the. Insured depositors at um Silicon Valley and Signature Bank, um, as well as the uh new funding facilities that would you know mitigate concerns for other banks. But we did see a steep sell-off in banks on Monday, um, one across the industry, but then also you look at some names like a First Republic, which was down at one point about 60, 70 percent. In today's trading, uh bank stocks are coming back, you know. Uh, First Republic right now, I'm looking, is up about 60%, so trying to claw back from where it was. Uh, The broader bank industry is up about 5% or so. Do you think that this is a rally to be sustained? Do you think that maybe there was too much selling at the end of last week, early this week? You know, what's your outlook on the sector for
0: now? You know, I guess two two things. Um, One, there was a lot of shoot first, ask questions later. Right. There was a lot of was was the what the Fed did, what the government did broadly, was that sufficient to um, address the concerns? What were the concerns? Where are the bodies buried? That's how that's how basically the the market operates. You know, it's a discounting mechanism. It looks for um, the worst case scenarios. Um, So in that process of of trying to to get to uh, a, a repricing of the regional banks, you know that's what we saw Thursday, Friday, and, and and Monday. Despite what the Fed did, it just felt like people still investors still wanted to figure out if the, the that the the levels were appropriate. Um, it didn't make sense, quite frankly, because it seemed that the moves were sufficient. You could you know you could make the case that you maybe change you know increase the uh, um, the, the depositor insurance. You know, greater than 250, or make it applicable to uh, to to more institutions. Um, you know, un- the uninsured pieces, um, but or, or or some had argued there should be all all deposits should be insured. There should be no uninsured. So there, a lot of a lot of folks were debating that, including guys like um, Bill Ackman uh, of Pershing Square Capital. So I think there was some questioning about the strategy that was in place. Um, but I believe now we've, we've, we've gotten to a more stable point where it looks as if things, I think the market's assessment is maybe things are, are more stable and they're being more rational looking at, you know, a lot of the times too, you'll take the whole kit and caboodle, the whole yeah. regional bank um, portfolio and throw it out, right, and say they're all bad. But I think, you know, folks want to distinguish between some versus others and also go back and revisit some that had taken precipitous losses like First Republic and and kick the tires a little bit more. Um, So I think that's what's taking place now. That's not to say that, you know, we're out of the woods, but that's just a part of the process that you tend to see when you have big crisis era moments like this, big emergency measures that are put in place where the president has to come out and say, regional banks are safe, right? You know, people, uh, you know, on Wall Street think, hmm, regional banks are safe. Maybe they're not, you know, so th- th- there's that sort of like counter, um, you know, counter uh, moves by by investors. They'll think maybe it's the opposite. So I think that was at play.
1: Yeah, I, I think it's interesting. It's um, the market sometimes, I think, takes that sort of assurances from, you know, whether it's a company coming out or whether it's, you know, a government official coming out, it's like, why are you working so hard to tell us you're safe? What aren't you telling us? There's that skepticism in the market sometimes. And that's what makes the market unfortunate for better or worse, I guess I should say.
0: Yeah, totally, and and perhaps rightly so, revisiting. By the way, regional banks were in the crosshairs nonetheless, right? Because when we think about what the Fed was trying to do, it was trying to um, slow the economy, which threatened to put the economy into a recession. The Fed was willing to do that because that what that's what the Fed thinks it needs to do in order to cool, um, include inflation, uh, which is still a little hot, right? You know, mm-hmm. the CPI number that came out today was about you know, point one basis points lower than uh, estimates, but it's still at around you know, over five. That's much hotter than the two percent that the Fed wanted. And when we're you know, if we're if the economy is slowing, what you know you know, the institutions that usually take that on the chin are, are the banks, right? So, um, and particularly regional banks.
1: Yeah, it's one of the reasons I love covering the banks, because you you get to see everything happening in the economy at once. Every single industry goes through them in some way or another, you know, loan creation, all of that sort of stuff. So,
0: so- which, which, which actually speaks to another point, and I don't want to cut you off, but speaks to another mm-hmm. point of why this is so important. The Fed and the government... They really can't overplay this, right? Mm-hmm. You don't want to be the the one who says, "Ah, eh, let's see what happens on Monday," you know, because those institutions are so vital to uh, the economy. They're the, the the lifeblood of the economy, loan creation, and you don't want to you don't want them to come in and put up their guard. The the next questions, you know, so that's why you you put out some of these measures to protect them. But it's also the next question, too, as we look to perhaps regulate banks like Silicon Valley Bank better, what can you do to increase the oversight of them without stymieing their ability to produce the types of loans to the types of companies and startups that uh, that they did previously?
1: Yeah, I think that's such a great point to make because when something goes badly, um, you can say, oh, my gosh, I can't believe you were this business existed, you know, lending to startups, but startups, I mean, that's the innovation of a company. Someone at some point is going to have to lend to a company that has no revenue, you know, has just a a great idea that they're testing. And, you know, you do want whether it's a bank or whether it's some other creditor that understands how to build a loan around that, understands how to mitigate that risk. So you definitely don't want to stifle the innovation economy. It's just maybe we have to think about, okay, what are some of the appropriate guardrails to put around it? Um, Do you think that there's anything, or has your reporting shown that there's anything that could have prevented this with Silicon Valley? I mean, we talked about the duration risk, but maybe from a regulatory standpoint, um, would anything else have caught this?
0: I mean, it, it, it seems based on what I've observed and based on what some of the experts have said, I love how you put it, like, what is your reporting showing? Because we're not experts, right? What we do, even as editor-in-chief, you you still, you know, I, I've, I've told my, 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 my reporters and my colleagues, you know, let's hit the phones. Let's ask the questions. Let's find out. Let's not presuppose what we think is happening. Let's find out what's happening and let that lead our reporting. Um, but the important piece is, is like, you know, you know, it, it, it's one of those things where you have to you have to have a, a, a single uh, Silicon Valley bank like this because they understand credits better than most. They understand these, these types of credits. Not everyone can lend to startups in the same way because those credits are harder to um, value. Right. And mm-hmm. and if you're in that space, if you know that space well, you you understand it better. But could this have been prevented um, some of what, what I've seen say, yes, pretty clearly. I mean, um, I know I've seen reports saying that they didn't have risk, a risk manager, um, you know, on hand for, for a, a long time. Um, and certainly during the, the, the lead up to this, um, I'm not saying that's the only reason, um, that they might've, uh, fallen into a, a riskier setup because you, you can't have one person looking at risk. You gotta get, you have, um, a lot of people looking at risk, not, not least of all the CEO. Um, so is, does management have a, a, a role to pl- play, or blame to, to be assigned? I think so. It was on your watch, mm-hmm. you know, um, and you could have hedged this in a way that made more sense. You also knew that interest rates were going up. Why didn't you position the portfolio in a way that made more sense for the changing environment? Um, Easier said than done based on the portfolio setup, but something that you as an institution of that scale, of that caliber, you need to do, right? And you also need to do that because it's not just important from a risk profile standpoint, but because you're vitally important to that entire community um, in terms of startup, uh, ag tech, biotech. Um, all those things we talked about, that's super important. So not easily replaceable.
1: Yeah. And I, you know, when I think you make a great point, um, about, you know, at a bank, everyone is thinking about risk, right? I mean, every credit officer is with each loan that's made with each new customer that comes in through KYC, um, you know, the know your customer thing or anti-money laundering, like it's everyone's job at a bank to be thinking about risk. Um, so you, we're talking a little bit earlier about um, you know, the Fed's role in you know trying to bring down inflation. We did get the print this morning, which came in a bit lower than ex- expected, so that is encouraging. Um, but when we look at, say, the past week, um, middle of last week, it was seemingly certain that the Fed would be hiking 50 basis points. Monday, we got a report from Goldman Sachs that said, they're not hiking at all. Um, I haven't had a chance to check yet today where traders are pricing it, but what do you think this does mean for the path of the Fed, especially in light of the um, inflation data we got this morning?
0: Yeah, I'll tell you what our reporting has shown us thus far. Um, I think 25 basis points seems like a more rational way to to approach it. Um, If if we're thinking about no rate hike at all for March for next week, uh, then the Fed needs to figure out some way to communicate that, right? Um, some mysterious way, to <laughs> to <laughs> call someone up and say, hey, um, you know this this is this is the story, and and that's you know not in any kind of nefarious way, but just because they've been uh, the Fed has been super communicative. They don't like to surprise people. Um, but to your point, we have shifted from this this um, level where we're thinking about 50 basis points, you know, not too far, not too long ago, and and Goldman's come out with this report uh, on Monday saying zero. Um, I don't think it's going to be zero based on what we've seen based on some um, based on some of the other um, analysts out there. If, but if, if they're going that route um, instead of 25, which, again, seems like a, um, a way to kind of temper the move. Right. If if their perception is, hey, maybe we are breaking something mm-hmm. um, and if they want to address that, doing something rather than zero seems like a, um, a, a better strategy. Um, and that's what some, some of the analysts have been have been talking about that we've seen. But, you know, we'll, we'll see how it all plays out come next week.
1: Yeah, absolutely. And I mean, the argument that I'm hearing um, in my reporting as well for, you know, a 25 basis points is it signals we're still taking inflation seriously, but we're also aware of the risks that just happened. So it's almost like a, we're going to let this simmer and understand <laughs> the Fed always says it's data dependent. So, you know. The Fed just got a lot of data over the last week or so, and it, from my reporting, it people are saying it would make sense for them to maybe not do the 50, show that they're still serious about getting inflation under control, but um, maybe do the 25.
0: That, that, that seems to make sense uh, also based on what we've seen. Um, 25 makes some sense. Uh, there's an expectation that we'll continue gradual uh, a gradual s- stepped up r- way to increase obviously far from the 70 the big 75 uh, basis points hikes we were seeing um, but if we're thinking that inflation by the way you said it, it, it it's it's cooled a little bit right but it's mm-hmm. still it's still like three percentage points higher than it needs to be um, or, or where, where the Fed would like it so they have more work to, to do. Um, and I think they might want to be moderating this uh, a little bit. So we'll see how it plays out. We'll see how if that's communicated. I think there were, there's one Fed speaker kicking around, even though it's blackout. Maybe she won't talk, talk about um, policy, but um, mm-hmm. we'll, we'll, we'll see. I think we'll also maybe we can get some tea leaves from from Yellen. Um, who speaks on Thursday? The uh, Treasury Secretary Janet Yellen. Um, she she's going to come in uh, before a Senate Banking Committee. She, she might give a little bit of a uh, a sense of what what the thought process is. Even though she's with the Treasury, um, she understands having been a former uh, Fed chair. She understands uh, what the what the issues are. Um, so maybe we'll get some clues from that, uh, despite being in blackout.
1: Definitely. So, I do want in the, our last few minutes, I do want to turn to uh, some of the questions that were submitted uh, before and during this conversation. Um, one is how exposed or at risk are the two big to fail banks um, with making similar bad risk management choices in their assets? That's the question we're getting. Um, and for these two big to fail banks, uh, the person is responding or referring to City, Wells, JP Morgan, and uh, Bank of America. Um-
0: in, in theory, these banks are considered systemically important banks. So the scrutiny that these banks go under is pretty intense. It's not the same scrutiny that Silicon Valley Bank um, has to endure. That may change. Um, the general perception, you know, based on what we've talked to, I spoke to bankers earlier today, just before this call, and they're like, listen, you know, you guys have no idea how much like time we spend with regulators Regulators who are in-house. That's not to say that you know they're above the pale or 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 beyond making mistakes, but um, I, I I do think based on what we've seen, based on the measures that have been taken, based on um, you know all the increased regulation around these larger institutions, that they're as far as this issue is concerned um, probably in better position than 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 most. Um, I would say I would add this though that I would you know, steer folks away from taking single stock risk, generally speaking, um, not as investment advice, just as general practical approaches to, to how you think about um, um, markets, because sometimes it may be easier if you think a sector has been beaten up, whether it's regionals or the larger banks, to take a, a broader ETF exposure that, yeah. that will give you sort of a, a broader um, exposure to some banks um, and, and, you know, maybe limit the your hit from a single you know if someone was saying oh buy Silicon Valley Bank it's sure to come back that's that's probably a mistake. but if you're worried about like getting caught out there like that, um, you know I think we've seen people do ETFs that that gives them exposure to that just as a, as a thought.
1: Absolutely. And I think one thing to note with um, some of the so-called too big to fail banks, um, much wider deposit base. Um, many more um, sources of
0: funding. Trillions, trillions in deposit. Yes,
1: <laughs> right? exactly. Um, much, much larger, um, much less concentrated in a single um, industry. Um, ahead of what we saw with Silicon Valley Bank, we did see um, figures coming out that showed that the banking system is sitting on about $620 billion in unrealized losses um, in their portfolios, One thing to note, though, um, we all know what happened with rates. um, And, you know, as uh, yields go up, on prices go down. um, But even with that large number, the likelihood that many of the larger banks would have to actually crystallize those losses, make them realize losses, very minimal just because of the many sources of um, funding that they have that, you know, a smaller bank like Silicon Valley Bank um, did not have.
0: A hundred percent. And actually spoke to some bankers about various stories to that effect. <laughs> um, and, and that's really the point, too. Not just, um, um, you know, they have cash on hand, you know, mm-hmm. hundreds of billions of dollars of cash on hand. Um, and also, uh, to your point, you don't have to sell those to raise capital if deposits are coming out. You you Just to make, you know, uh, get to a point that you made, uh, one of the big issues, too, for Silicon Valley Bank was an idiosyncratic issue, and that was that the vast it was concentrated in startups and these smaller companies. And when when they withdrew their money, that had a greater impact on Silicon Valley Bank, just kind of that makeup than than it would on other banks. Um, if startup you know companies wanted to withdraw their bank from other larger banks, it, it's not going to have that much of an impact because their their deposit base is much more diverse right so um, that's a key piece um, also with the assets that these banks have treasuries a lot of them are you know near like dollar equivalent they don't have to sell them and they can hold them to maturity um, mm-hmm. if they have to that, that's a different story but based on their their um, uh, their balance sheet and their their composition of, of assets that 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 shouldn't be an issue in theory absolutely well I
1: that is all the time we have for today. Um, I did see a lot of questions come in and hopefully most of them were answered during the course of our conversation. Um, so thank you so much for listening today. Mark, thank you so much for um, being here. And we hope that you'll join us on Barron's Live again. Tomorrow, Barron's Live Market Watch is housing reporter, Arthi Swamathan will be speaking with Zillow Group President Susan Daimler about the status of the housing market and as the usual spring styling season ramps up. Will this year be different? Tune in to find out.